Hi, this is Ivan Meisner, founder of BNI, and I just finished the World of Speakers podcast. And it, it, on that podcast, I talked about a couple of things like uh, making your stories sticky. You want to find out what that is? Well, you got to come to the podcast and listen to it. Also, listen for uh, how a PowerPoint should be a character, and a picture should be a character in your presentation. Learn that and more on the World of Speaker podcast. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast, brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back, and today I'm very excited to have who humbly doesn't admit that he is the godfather of BNI, but he likes to be known as the founder and the chief visionary officer of BNI. And if you don't know about BNI, you will learn all about it. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ivan Meisner to the show. Ivan, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. I like it when people say fantastic. It's better than good, and it's just a little bit below great. So it's enough to believe that it's true. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. <laughs> well, would you think that fantastic is is in between or above or below great? I thought it was above, but I'm good. I'll go either way. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's first dig into sort of your backstory. And for those people who don't know about BNI, they probably live under a rock or they have no interest in exploring professional development and networking on a business level. <laughs> but what is this BNI thing? And then let's take it back and understand sort of who you are and where you came from. So um, BNI is a business and professional networking organization. It's a referral marketing platform. People who want to build their business through referrals join. I started it in 1985. We're now 33 years old. We have 8,230 groups in 73 countries uh, around the world. Last year, the organization passed 9.1 million referrals, and we generated 13.1 billion, with a B, $13.1 billion worth of business for our members all around the world. That's impressive. So let's go back to you and where it all started. I mean, where did you sort of originally come up with this vision? Was it accidental? Was it as a child? Did it just sort of come to you in your sleep? Yeah, well, I'd like to tell you I had this vision of an international organization, but the truth is I needed some referrals for my consultant. <laughs> I was a management consultant. I did a lot of speaking even back then, but they, they were all free, you know, all free presentations at the, the rubber chicken circuit, you know, the Rotary, the Lions, the Qantas. And I was looking for more business. And the way I got most of my business was either through speaking or from referrals. And so I put together a group of people who I trusted. They, I hoped they would trust me and we would refer each other. And from the very beginning, we only allowed one person per professional category. And someone came who couldn't join and asked if I would help them open up a second group. And I did. And we opened up a third one and then a fourth one and then a 10th one and then a 20th one. We really opened 20 groups by accident the first year. I didn't have a plan. But at the end of that year, I created a plan. And uh, we're now global, 73 countries all around the world. Wow, that's impressive. Now, were you always the gregarious speaker of a kid? Was getting up on stage natural for you? Or was that also an invention of the necessity of getting more leads in business? I'm what's called a, a situational extrovert. And when I'm in my when I'm in the right environment, I come across as an extrovert, but generally I'm a little more uh, introspect. And although I did talk a lot, I, I wish I would have kept one of the report cards. I think every report card that I ever had as a, in elementary school, the teacher said, you know, talks too much in class. <laughs> and so it's really funny that 
what is in our way oftentimes becomes our way. Because I got in trouble. <laughs> my, my mom was not too happy when she'd get this report saying he talks too much in, in class. And now I get paid really, really good money. I mean, just <laughs> stupid money to talk. So, yeah. Yeah. What's in our way often becomes our way. Yeah, I think that's a, an insightful spot to where maybe these challenges that people face, they come full circle. And maybe it's because of those challenges that you pay particular attention to them and they just keep popping up and find a way to solve them. Right. Absolutely. So explain the dynamics within the group, because there's maybe for people who still don't understand, it's a group of individuals that there's only one spot per professional industry, right? So right. that there's no duplicates. No duplicates. There may be specialties. You might have a residential real estate agent or commercial real estate agent. You might have several attorneys who specialize in different areas, but nobody is doing the same specialization as you. Gotcha. And then so you're tapping into individuals, existing direct and loose networks as you meet in groups and what does one person give a little presentation each time to some extent. Right. And then you just sort of refer people to each other, right? Right. And it's really about building relationships over time. And every week, every member has a chance to do, depends on the size of the group, anywhere from a half a minute to a minute every week on who they are and what they do. Then we have a speaker or two every week. And it's always members. We don't bring in outside speakers. And uh, they go for, you know, 10, 12 minutes to talk a little bit more in depth about who they are and what they do. And so even though we're not a professional speaking organization, I'm here to tell you, BNI members around the world have told me I have greatly enhanced my speaking ability by, you know, you go to a meeting and talk about what you do 50 times in a row, you get better and better at it. Yeah, absolutely. And so you have shared with me that you're now the chief visionary officer. Tell me about how that role works. So, uh, you know, I, I ran the company for 30 years. It was a long time. I think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. And when they're in their flame, they're on fire. They're excited. They love what they, they're doing. You can see it in the way they act. You can hear it in their voice. When they're working in their wax, it just takes all their energy away. Mm. And you can see it in the way they act and you can hear it in their voice. And what was my flame for many years building a company eventually became my wax. You know, you do it 30 years, it's a long time. So I really decided that I wanted to work in what had become my flame. And my flame really was speaking full time and writing, speaking, writing, doing interviews, podcasts like this. That was really my flame. And so I, I really wanted to become sort of the Colonel Sanders of BNI and be the brand advocate and continue to speak. I was already speaking a lot, but do it really as my primary role. And so that's what the you know chief visionary officer is really the brand advocate for the company. And I talk about culture wherever I go in BNI and, and outside BNI. And how many speeches did you give last year to give people a reference of, of how full-time this is for you? Easily on stage, 150. Wow. On a real busy year, it could be 200 or more. On a slow year, it'd be 100 uh, presentations. I, I spoke last week at an event with 2,700 people in the audience. Wow. So did you foresee that this was in your future when you first started this BNI group? Did you have that vision at that point? Did you know it would become this big? No, I wish I, you know, I, wish I could tell you that BNI was going to be <laughs> and I, I, I didn't see that. But I, I've always enjoyed speaking. I took speech courses in high school and in college. I recommend organizations like Toastmasters, although I've, I've never been a member of Toastmasters. I had five years of school in, in speech. So 
I've always been a fan, and I knew that speaking would be a, a big part. As B and I grew, I knew it would become a bigger part of my business. Now, within the organization, you're not particularly helping people to learn the fundamentals of speaking. You're just sort of trial by fire. And like you said, you speak about your business 50 times, yeah. and by the nature of practice, you do it. But there's not an integrated curriculum or so like Toastmasters is. There isn't, not, not for the members. However, we do talk about, you know, I've done many podcasts on how to do a good weekly presentation, how to do a good feature presentation. I train BNI directors on how how to create a really good presentation. So it's not part of the BNI curriculum for members, but it is something we definitely teach on. And I've I've taught hundreds, if not thousands, of BNI directors on what I think are some of the fundamentals of doing a, a good presentation. Now, before we jump into the fundamentals, I want to pick your brain on a, the concept of the elevator pitch. I want to know your opinion, your thoughts on it, because you're probably in a unique position to have influenced you know, hundreds of thousands of people who are taking this small stage in front of a small group. But I want to pick your brain about the evolution of the elevator pitch, where it is right now, how necessary it is, if it seems like it's contrived and canned and inauthentic. What are your thoughts on the current state of the elevator pitch? So, you know, look, first of all, never do an elevator pitch in an elevator. Okay. You know, I, that's great. Gotcha. Yes. And it's, you're right. It, it comes across as too contrived. And so the, the concept of an elevator pitch, and I've written about this, is to be able to say who you are and what you do in a way, in a short period of time, and in a way that gets people's attention and gets them to ask questions about you. Perfect. The problem in elevator pitches is that people are, they use networking as a face-to-face cold calling opportunity. You know, hi, my name is Ivan. Let's do business. And they jump into immediately trying to do business as opposed to building any kind of relationship. And so what I tell people is before you even think about giving your elevator pitch, find out about the other person first. A good networker has two ears and one mouth and should use them both proportionately. So shut up, ask questions and listen. Do you know a great networker is like a great interviewer. Hmm. You're asking me questions and you're allowing me to elaborate. That's what a great networker is. Now, when you've asked a lot of questions and that person has talked, then you want to say who you are and what you do. And I think that it's very important that you use in an elevator pitch, you use a unique selling proposition, something that is very concise about what you do and gets people gets people to pass what Sam Horn, a good friend of mine, Sam Horn, she calls it um, the eyebrow test. <laughs> okay. So when you tell somebody a, a unique selling proposition, one of my favorites is a, a, from a company, Ascentive. They say, we help people work less, make more, and, and create referrals for life. Love that phrase. And when you use your unique selling proposition, watch the person's eyebrows. If they go up, you got their attention. You passed <laughs> the eyebrow test. If they scrunch down, you just failed. The, the eyebrow test, and they did not understand what it is that you, what you see. No matter how cute it is, you lost them. So you failed in explaining what you do. So say something that gets you to pass the eyebrow test where people go, oh, wow, that's interesting. What, you know, tell me more. And so that's what an elevator pitch should be. And you know, don't launch in, don't use networking as a face-to-face cold call opportunity. Talk about them first before you start pitching your own business. 
Now I'm trying to visualize in my mind a different word or a different phrase instead of the elevator pitch, like the the roller coaster pitch or something, right? Where you have this like click, 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 click. You're getting to the spot. You're getting to know people. And then based on whether the hands fly up or whatnot, you've got your neat selling proposition on the way down and then sort of around and about. I don't know. I'm, it's murmuring in my head, but I think we should come up with a new name. You know, might not come up with a better term. I, I, you know, in BNI, it's the weekly presentation. Hmm. That doesn't lift my eyebrows. <laughs> no, no, but, but it's what you say during the weekly presentation. Right. That's the key. So what we, you know, the, the elevator pitch in BNI is their weekly presentation. They have a minute. And in a minute, they have to say something about who they are and what they do. And in that minute, especially if there are a lot of people who don't know them, that's where you want to use a unique selling proposition that gets people uh, attention. Interesting. So this idea of getting people to talk more, there's some research out there. I can't name it on the button, but I've read it before. And I'm curious if you've heard of it, where they take individuals who don't know each other. They put them in a room and they're just supposed to talk. Yeah. And then they exit interview and they found a correlation, a strong correlation between the amount of time that someone physically talks in a conversation and their positive reflection upon the conversation, right? Yes. And so it's like this concept that when people talk more, they feel more connected, which is sort of uh, against what you would think, but it actually makes sense. So getting somebody else to talk more, they get comfortable with you, and then that has a chance to try to raise their eyebrows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, ideally you have an equal amount of time to talk or something equal if you're only talking to somebody who wants to just talk, 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 you're, you're probably trying to network with the wrong person. But I have always found it best. If I'm trying to build a relationship with this person, let them talk first, ask questions. You know, there's a whole series of questions that I've written about in many of my books, you know, but it's basically, you know, an interview. Just tell me more about what you do. What do you love about what you do? What's your favorite thing about it? What's, you know, what a, what a, um, what's your target market? Just get them to open up and talk. And then, you know, when you've exhausted a lot of the conversation, then, the, then it's your turn. And at that point, they're more receptive to listening. Mm. And you can probably use the information that they just gave you to create a very targeted sales proposition to them because you know what they're already interested in at this point. Exactly right. I dig it. But the problem is people are so desperate to sell that they just launch into sales mode instead of listening mode. Yeah. By the way, I did a survey of... Um, 3,400 people recently uh, all around the world, not just BNI members. And I asked them, what are the top characteristics of a great networker? Number one was listening. The people who are good listeners make better networkers. It was the number one characteristic that thousands of people from all over the world identified as an important characteristic of a great networker. That's great. I dig it. All right. So let's talk about the opposite of listening, which is now talking. (laughs) And let's dig into some of your top tips for people who are you know, comfortable presenting, but maybe want to step it up a notch. And I know you've got tons of these tips. So in your filtration process, what is really bubbling up to the top that maybe isn't as common ground? The things that maybe you realize are very powerful, but they sort of get swept under the rug, or it's not what you'd find on your normal list. Well, okay, so let's take it now. Now let's move away from the the one to one conversation, and now you're on stage. Is that yes? It? Yes. Okay, so now you're on stage. Different context. You've got the audience there. You've got them. Uh, you know, they're all yours, and you have a chance to communicate to them. So there's a number of things that I, I think that uh, people need to do in order to um, be effective in doing great presentations. First of all, you got to be a great storyteller. 
I think stories are the best way. Stories, particularly for me, humor makes people absorbent. Mm. When you say something funny, they open up. You can pull on their heartstrings too. That's an effective technique. But I like humor probably more than pulling on the heartstrings. There's a, a really good book on storytelling called The Elements of Persuasion. The Elements of Persuasion. And in there, they talk about the, the formula for a good story. And this is the formula. A story is a fact wrapped in an emotion that compels people to take action that transforms them in some way. Now, I'll repeat that. It's, it's powerful. Yeah. A great story is a fact wrapped in an emotion that compels someone to take action and transforms them in some way. So from a humor perspective, when people open up their speeches with a joke, well, a joke is generally presented as some kind of fact, may not be fact, but it's presented as a fact, and it's wrapped up in an emotion, humor. That's it. End of story. That's the joke. Jokes are a waste of breath in a speech, in my opinion, unless mm. they compel someone to take action and transform them in some way. Now, I've used jokes to do that, but I wrap it back around to the message I'm trying to give. So I've been able to use jokes, although I use really, truly stories more than jokes, but I've been able to use jokes as long as that joke ties into the message I'm trying to give which compels someone to take action. And it's all about transformation. If, if your message transforms your audience, then you've got a powerful message. So that's one tidbit. Here's another one. It's three words, but really powerful. Relive, don't retell. Hmm. Relive your story, don't retell your story. So I've seen speakers who... You know, they stand and they go, well, and then, and then uh, I said this to that person. And, and you know what they said to me? They said that to me. And they're just basically retelling their story. Don't retell the story. Relive the story. Can you believe this? I then told him this. And you know what he said to that? You know, you got to relive it like you're right there experiencing it right now. Describe the situation. Describe the people you're talking to, the room you're in. Describe something so that people in their mind's eye create this vision of the story you're giving. And the more you can relive a story rather than retell a story, the more effective your story is going to be if you follow that formula of a fact wrapped in an emotion, compelling to take action and transform them. Make sense? Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so here's some more. You got to make stories sticky. So there's some things uh, about making a story sticky. Sticky stories. Let's hear it. Hashtag sticky stories. Now, are you are you active on social at all? Are you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. So we're going to do, we're going to throw out a Twitter challenge or a, a platform challenge. If anybody who has a sticky story, hashtag sticky story, tag Ivan, tag myself, and then we'll let you know if we think it's sticky. You got it. <laughs> so here are a number of things that make it sticky. It doesn't have to be all of these, but it should be at least one of these. And I've already talked about one, emotions. If you can uh, tie it into an emotion, either tugging on their heartstrings or making them laugh, that makes the story sticky. The sound of your voice and the look in your face are an important way to convey that. So your voice and your facial 
expressions help to make the story sticky. Also, the type of story that gets remembered is one that's anchored in a narrative. You know, you, you got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that end has got to tie back around to compel people to take action. When you get to the end of that story, you should have people going, yeah, I get it. All right. That makes sense. And when they get it and it makes sense, that transforms them. Hmm. So uh, next, the visual elements and verbal repetitions are powerful mnemonic devices, and they should be used whenever possible. Verbal repetitions are powerful mnemonic devices. I'll give you a couple of sentences out of a speech I, I, I do in BNI. Here's a verbal repetition. If all the people in an organization row in the same direction, that organization could dominate any industry in any market against any competition at any time. BNI dominates this industry in almost every market against all the competition for almost a decade now. Now that's that's an example of verbal repetitions. It's powerful. It's it, you know if it's said right, it can be exciting. If it's said to the right audience, it's really exciting. And so a verbal repetition like that is a simple tool, simple technique that is really powerful at standing out in doing your presentations. Then if you add in more stickiness and you've got the voice and you've got the visual of your face and you've got it tied into a narrative and you're throwing emotion on top of it, that's like a super sticky story. Super sticky story, no question about it. (laughs) And another thing to always remember in in the stories is that context is king. You've got to tell stories that fit the context of your discussion. So find a way. And listen, I have got the most obscure stories that I've been able to to tie into the message that I'm trying to get across and get creative with that message and that story. But it's amazing how you can take a story that doesn't seem to fit the context at all, but you can make it fit the context incredibly well. I mean, I've taken stories on sales. I, I have a great story in one of my books, Masters of Sales where I talk about um, getting hit by a Portuguese man of war jellyfish and everything that happened after that. And, and it's scary and it's funny. And how the heck do I tie that to sales? Well, it was actually pretty easy to tie it to sales because had I just listened to the people who gave me advice after I got hit by the Portuguese man of war, I wouldn't have had to go to the hospital. But, right. but because, because I didn't pay attention to the experts, I ended up having paramedics come. And I tied it to sales where listen to the experts. Don't reinvent the wheel. If you want to be great at sales, there are a lot of people out there who know what they're doing. Listen to them and follow their advice. Don't find excuses. Follow their advice. And that's how I tied the story into sales. And so there's so many ways to take a a great story and make it contextually relevant. But that's important. All right. You want some more? Yeah, yeah, real quick on that one. Just so Gary V, whether you're a fan or not, you know, he's definitely got a loud mouth and, and likes to phrase things in a certain way. I was in China recently listening to him talk at Rise, and he was saying, content is king and context is queen. Yeah. And we all know who runs the house. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's that's absolutely correct. Yeah. So yeah, bring us some more. Let's let's go on it. So we've got the super sticky stories with all of the stickiness combined together. Yeah. And you've got the ability to tie all of those sticky stories with an even stickier context, whether it's 
getting, you know, attacked by an oversized jellyfish, as long as it relates to a core message that's in the story, which delivers, you know, value, insight, and transformation, this is getting real sticky here. Yeah, it, it is. It's just a way to make it even better and better. I mean, I have people who I meet years later, they heard me speak and they say to me, I love that football story you have or that, that jellyfish story or, oh my goodness, that time that you did the magic trick in a, a TV interview. They remember the stories. And of course, they remember the context of the story, but they remember the stories. They become very, very sticky. So here's a couple of other things that I recommend for my um, people in BNI. Preparation is so important. I am a real believer in writing, rewriting, and creating and practicing your presentation before you do it. Practice content on people. Uh, practice, um, God, stand in front of a mirror and, and do the talk. I did that for years and years and years. And so preparation is so important. People ask me, how much time, how much time does it take you to write a, a one-hour speech? And I tell them to do a one-hour keynote presentation on the low end is 40 to 50 hours of prep. Damn. Yeah. That might sort of lift some eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. Well, it should because people do two-hour prep and do a one-hour talk. And they, can't, yeah. they don't understand why people aren't giving them standing ovations at the end of their talk. So you want to get standing ovations, you prepare, 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 you know, make your tell good stories, make them sticky, choreograph your, your presentation, choreograph the timing. You got to learn, you know, if, if you're someone like me who, who likes to use humor more than pulling on the heartstrings, you got to choreograph it to know where the laughs are and know when to shut up <laughs> and let people laugh. Yes. Let, them, let them have. And if you're ever speaking to international audiences, which I do a lot, and you're doing simultaneous translation, learn how to stop longer because you get two waves of laughter when you're speaking internationally. The first wave are the people who understand you in English. And what I started doing early on when I was speaking internationally was I waited for the laugh, got it, and then I would start. And a part way through the next sentence, I would get a second roll of laughter for everyone who is listening to the mm -hmm. translation. Yeah. So when you're having your presentation translated simultaneously, that means it's being done on the spot, there's actually two rolls of laughter that take place. So choreograph your presentation and know your audience. And if you're talking to an international audience, make sure to uh, you know choreograph that so that you're, you're giving it a longer pause than normal. Let's talk about PowerPoint presentations. Let's do it. And, and hopefully how to avoid death by PowerPoint. <laughs> so here's, here's the way to, there's a, I love PowerPoint presentations. I use them in all my keynotes, but here's the deal. For me, my PowerPoint presentation is a character in my speech. Ooh, that's sticky. Yeah. They're a character in my speech. There's very little uh, visual content in terms of verbiage. There's very little verbiage in my PowerPoint. Three, four, five words is a lot. Generally, it's one or two words or no words. On a one-hour speech, I may spend six to 10 hours looking for photographs. Mm. And the, you know, they are a character in the speech. Sometimes just the photograph <laughs> makes people laugh. And it fits, it fits the point. You know, it's got to fit the point that I'm trying to make. 
But then, uh, you know, you show them the photograph and, and just sometimes the photograph alone, laugh, they laugh or they get it. Like I'll, I have one presentation I do where I talk about doing a, uh, a book signing. And, you know, I talk about how everybody always thinks book signings must be really awesome, you know, and, and exciting and how so many people show up. And, and I say, well, I, that's what a lot of people think, but this is what they really look like. And then I, then I show this like sports stadium with a completely empty line and no, nobody's in line. And, you know, it's just a <laughs> photograph. You know, I know people think that this is what a book signing is like, but here's what it's really like. And then I show the photograph. Don't even have to say anything. And, and people laugh and they get it. That It's your punchline, essentially, to some extent there. It is. It is. And many times the, the PowerPoint is, the photograph is the punchline. Other times it's simply a photograph to show what I'm saying. For example, let me give your listeners a recommendation for another book. It's a great book on doing PowerPoints. It's called Presentation Zen, Z-E-N, Presentation Zen. And that book changed the way I did PowerPoints. Let me give you an example. I had a, a, a keynote for a book I wrote called The 29% Solution. And the subtitle was 52 Weekly Networking Success Strategies. Okay. So that's, that was the book title, The 29% Solution. Okay. So the original version of my speech had a PowerPoint that said this. All of this was one, all of this was completely contradicts what I told you earlier because I did this before I understood this concept. Okay. Okay. Before I understood this concept, this is what the slide said. Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, six degrees of separation. What do they all have in common? They are all urban legends. The six degrees myth stems from Stanley Milgram's small world studies. At that point, this is your death by PowerPoint comment, right? Right. And I knew it wasn't working. So I tell you what, I changed it to simply five words. Five words were, what do they have in common? Six words. What do they have in common? And it was a photograph of Santa Claus, a photograph of of, um, Easter Bunny, and a, a photograph of an image related to six degrees of separation. And I just asked, what do they all have in common? And then I said, they're all urban legends. So the photographs become part, they can be, become characters in my speech, literally. So I didn't need to write Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Six Degrees of Separation. I didn't need to write all of that stuff. All I had to do is what do they have in common? And frankly, I probably didn't even need that. I could probably just put up the three photographs. Here's Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Six Degrees of Separation. What, what do they all have in common? They're all urban legends. And so then I went on to talk about Stanley Milgram, and I had a lot of stuff before. Well, on the revised presentation, I had one photograph. It was a picture of Stanley Milgram. That's it. And uh, I did have the words up there, small world experiment. So Stanley Milgram, small world experiment. And then I talked all about this, the, the small world experiment. So Presentation Zen helped teach me, stop putting verbiage in your PowerPoint. Put photos. Put images. That's what you want to do is use images. And later I realized that those images really, they really are a character in my speech. Yeah, that's a, I, I like how I, the whole concept of your PowerPoint being another character makes me think of, you know, these Saturday Night Live, not, not Saturday Night Live, but some of these late night TV shows where you'll have like the main host, Jimmy Kimmel or something. Then you'll have the guy in the microphone on the side that's just there to sort of like chirp in every once in a while, change it up yeah. a little bit and sort of create a dynamic. Yeah. I dig it. 
So we talked about sort of the listening component as a great networker. And then we talked about while you're on stage and it's a one-to-many presentation to make super sticky stories stick. I want to transition into how do you get up on the stage to have a chance to stick your story? So, you know, you to have 150 to 200 keynotes a year, that's like, you know, uh, busting through the computer, big old fist bump (laughs) right there. How do we help people either start on that path or set their goals appropriately to get there? What would be the the 15 minute rundown to bring somebody as fast as you could to a speed that helps them get on stage more often and maybe even get paid for it? So look, um, I'm a 20 year overnight success. (laughs) Yes. Okay. It took me 20 years to build a successful business and to be doing as many speaking engagements as I do today. For many years, I, I did the rubber chicken circuit, like I was talking about the Rotary Alliance Kiwanis. I, I did a lot of free presentations for many years, and that really honed my skills. And I felt like I already had some skills having, you know, I had uh, uh, high school and, and college courses. But it's different when you're actually out there in the trenches and you're talking to business people. It's a different audience than a bunch of students. And so uh, it was really a, learn, a, a training ground for me. So I'll give you a technique that I use. I got, I got 125 speaking engagements in about 14 months. Wow, okay. And here's the technique I used. And I wrote about this. It's on entrepreneur.com. If you do a search on entrepreneur.com, I wrote an article years ago there, uh, Referrals for the Difficult to Refer Business. That's the title of the article, I think. Referrals for the Difficult to Refer Business. And I used this all the time, and it was a great way to get business. I used speaking engagements. And if you go to that article, and if you want, I'll be happy to send you a link to it. If you go to that article. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Okay. If you go to that article, what, uh, what you see is the letter I used. And the letter basically was a letter that I handed to my fellow BNI members. This is when I was a member like everybody else. And I did a letter. I was the founder of the organization, but I was a member of the chapter. And so I would give a letter to all my fellow members. And the letter basically said, uh, hi, I'm Ivan Meisner, uh, and I do a presentation entitled Entrepreneuring in the 80s, and it talks about how to manage and motivate employees. Here's some quotes from some people who have heard me speak, and then I had you know, a quote from a Rotarian, a quote from a, someone from Kiwanis, someone from Lions. And I would give this to my fellow BNI members, and I would say, I know I'm not easy to give a referral to, but I'm now the easiest guy in the room because you all belong to other organizations. Give this to the program chairperson of any organization you belong to. And if you think I'm a good speaker, tell them, this guy's a good speaker, you know, bring him in. And then I would go in, I would do these free presentations, but then I talked about how you manage and motivate employees. And my hook was a behavior profile that I would give to them for free, which would then bring me into their office so I could show them what I did. I cleaned up. I got so much business by doing these free talks. These free talks were lost leaders for me. Yeah. I gave away my time, but I made tens of thousands of dollars every time I got a client. And so I was happy to give away the lost leader of a, a free speech. Now, as business went on and BNI became larger, I did many, many. I stopped doing those and I, I do many, many BNI presentations. And now, you know, I'm a paid keynote speaker and, and you know, I get paid stupid money to, to go speak. But it, it, it took a long time to get to that point. It doesn't happen overnight. Don't expect, you know, start small. I did free. Then I went to $500. Ooh, 500 bucks. I'm now, I'm actually asking for money. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then over the years, it's thousands and thousands of dollars over, over time. 
you know, it adds up. I mean, it doesn't add, it, it, you increase it. So, you know, I went to 500, I went to 1,000, I went to 5,000, I went to 10,000. And so, you, you know, my keynotes now are, I get paid a lot more money than when I did when I start. It's okay to, to hone your skills without charging. And then once you have a knock it out of the park presentation, start charging. And, and here's what you do. Call it a stipend. I, I charge a small stipend, 500 bucks, whatever. Yeah. And, and then it feels, God, it doesn't feel like much. Start there. And then as you get more and more popular, raise your fees. Also, it helps if you write a book. You want to be a professional speaker, have a book okay. on your subject matter. And it's so crazy easy to do books today. You know, you can publish, publish something on Amazon. Every keynote speaker I know has a book. So you definitely want to have a book. And by the way, the book becomes a real profit center for you when you do keynotes. Because you could either get them to buy a bunch beforehand or you're selling at the back of the stage, right? Right. And oftentimes what I do is um, I'll give away books. So, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, man, that's, you know, that's not in my budget. That's higher than my budget. And I'll say, um, okay, I get that. However, you know, I don't, I don't discount my price. This is, this is my price. But I'll give, I'll give you 100 books for free. Yeah. So I do a value add rather than a discount. Oh, I like that. So let's clarify that real quick. Instead of discounting your book, yeah. you're simply giving some of them away for free, which doesn't dilute the market price of your book. It doesn't make them feel like they're getting something at a discount. They feel like they're getting a favor. And then that might just spark more attention. Everybody sees that they have books and right. there you go. And, and here's the deal. If you, especially if you self-publish a book or if you publish it on Amazon, it's costing you four bucks. Unless it's a really, really big book, it's, you know, it's four, maybe yeah. five dollars. So your, your cost per book is $5, but the retail on it's $21.95. So from their perspective, you just gave them a $3,000 discount. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which helps justify the statement. Give the books away. You can sell the books. I'll stand there and sign them for you. Do whatever you want with it. So it only costs you, you know, $500, but you're giving them a value of $3,000. So it's a great technique to not have to bring down the price of your, uh, your speaking engagement. Very cool. Now that's a, I, I haven't heard the, I'm going to hold my, my price firm. I'm just going to give them to you for free. I, I see a lot of people who either do the discounts or it's part of the deal, but that's a nice way to keep the value there versus discounting. Yeah. Look, so every, every speaker has a discounted rate, you know, it, 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 nothing else, a friends and family rate, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're a really good friend or really good, uh, you know, it's referred to me or it's a nonprofit organization, whatever. And so I have that. But there's a point at which I just don't go lower. I, I don't care. I don't care from, you know, you're a brother or sister. You know, <laughs> this is it. This is what I charge. <laughs> right. And and but then I, I sweeten the deal by throwing in books. Right. Well, it's very cool. So you've got this sort of, uh, you know, this this traction momentum. And when you're speaking around the world, these 150, 200, what is the main message? Is it leadership? Is it connecting? What is your message up on stage that people do want to pay you for? Well, you know, generally, my paid speaking engagements are on networking, and that's what I talk about in BNI. Now, BNI, uh, you know, I don't, I don't charge BNI. Obviously, I'm the founder of the organization, so I don't charge BNI. Uh, but generally, it's on networking. I'm being asked more and more to talk about how I scaled my company. How did you scale a business to 8,000 locations? You know, there's over 5,000 people who work for BNI worldwide mm. as either employees, independent contractors, or franchisees. It's 5,000 people. And we have 230,000 members. And, you know, people ask, how did you do that? So I, I have a, I, I developed a presentation called Garage to Global. You know, how, how I took my business out of my garage to a global enterprise. 
And um, so I talk about that a lot. Uh, I talk about networking. I, I have some self-development. Uh, I've got a book coming out pretty soon called Who's in Your Room? And that's really a personal development, self-development the topic. And I've been speaking on it for a few years. People love that. I get hired to do that. But my wheelhouse is business networking. Gotcha. And when when people are coming up, you know, I've heard different theories of targeting basically, you know, organizations that have money to actually pay you, right? Yeah. So in your perspective, what would maybe be the low-hanging fruit, then the medium fruit, which you need a ladder, and then the final fruit that you've got to like get a crane to get to from an organizational standpoint? Like I would assume maybe join at a BNI group. That's a low-hanging fruit to then have an opportunity to speak in front of BNI groups um, or a Toastmaster group. But what would be those three levels of people to approach the organizations that might help them get in to, to speak for free, then maybe get a, a small stipend, and then the larger, more of a maybe corporate brand that's able to pay the thousands? What would you say those look like? So the, for me, it was the, what I said, the, the article, and I'll send you a link to that. Um, speaking of Rotary Lines, Kiwanis, yeah. I spoke to you know associations, nonprofit associations or whatnot, and I did those all for free with the idea that I would pick up clients, which I did pick up clients. So I did that a lot. I mean, you know, I think I told you 125 and it was like 14 months. Yeah. So uh, that's the low hanging fruit. That's easy, especially if you can get some people to say some nice things about what you've, what you've spoken on. Then you want to go to the people who you know and hand that to them and ask them to take it to the program chairperson. So you're getting referrals. If you can do that on a referral basis, it's powerful. So, you know, something in between is when you just, when you start then breaking into the market, so you just ramp it up a little bit uh, higher, you get these service clubs that have heard you speak and they want you to come in and talk to their company, but it might be a small, might be, you know, 20 people, might be 30 people. At some point, it could be 50 people. At some point, you should start charging a stipend. So the mid-ground is that stipend idea. We're charging 500 bucks or you know, if, it, if you have to fly, you're charging a small number and, and airfare and accommodations. So they pay for airfare and accommodations in a small amount. Um, but then you're usually speaking to small audiences. The big audiences, that's where, you know, that's where the money game is. That's where it's uh, a lot harder. And I have gotten to the point where virtually all of my speaking is now referral. And most of the people I know who are professional speakers, it's all referral. And so you want to uh, let people know that when you do speak someplace that you're happy to speak uh, somewhere else. And, and oftentimes I'll say, if, if you are part of an organization and you'd love to have me come on in and talk about this, see me after, after my presentation. And I'm happy to talk to you about, you know, speaking in your organization. And people always come up to me, get my card, and uh, then they introduce me to the person who's the decision maker. You want an in to the person who's a decision maker. And if that in comes from somebody already in the company, then it's way easier to get the job than if you call them up cold. You, you know, that's a, a cold, cold calls just don't work anymore. Yeah. Wow. Well, I can't believe this has already been our show. And I think we've had a lot of insights here from when you're initially meeting somebody, forget the elevator pitch, get them to talk first, use that information in a way that you can target your message to them, hopefully getting their eyebrows to lift. Then when you're on stage, it's about creating super sticky stories with emotion that are facts wrapped in emotion that has a, a tie-in with the narrative, making sure that the other person on stage is your PowerPoint, who is a character in the story. And then this slow growth to an overnight success, <laughs> the overnight might be 15, 20 years. It was for me. You got the low-hanging fruit, 
you've got the middle fruit and then you've got sort of the, uh, the fruit and the berries that are at the top with the Anita crane on it. So that was a nice comprehensive, you know, down and dirty, super sticky element. We've got these books to check out the presentations in elements of persuasion, master of sales, and then your entrepreneur article. We'll make sure all those are in the footnotes. Woo. If somebody was going to try to track you down and do a light cyber stalk online, where would you like them to stock you at? Oh, so uh, two places. My my blog, uh, IvanMeisner.com. That's M-I-S-N-E-R, IvanMeisner.com. I have more than a thousand blogs up there, um, tons of content. And then I'd say uh, my Facebook page. Uh, so go to Facebook, look for my public page. You can't get on the private page. It's full. But the public page, Ivan, Facebook.com slash IvanMeisner.com. BNI founder. And of course, anyone who's interested in BNI, uh, BNI.com. We got chapters all over the world. Well, very cool. Well, hey, thank you for the time today. And I'm sure everybody is just going to go jump online, find you, find the BNI and figure out how they can listen more, talk less, but when they talk, talk more sticky. <laughs> hey, thanks so much. Great, great interview. Yeah, thanks. It was a lot of fun. All right. Well, we will talk to you soon. And I'm going to see you online and uh, I'm going to take my own Twitter challenge. I'm going to look for my own super sticky stories, throw it out there and see if we can get some feedback on it and then continue the stickiness with humor and make people laugh and all kinds of good stuff like that. Fantastic. All right. We'll see you around, buddy. Thank you.